Our scripture reading from today comes from Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. In verse 17, it says, As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your mother and father. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you, will, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When my boys were little, all three of them went to the same preschool um, called Wesley Day School, and it's this I don't know. For us, it was this magical little preschool that met, it still meets in the basement of a Methodist church. Um, and like any school, at the beginning of the year, uh, we would get a packet of information from the school um, with like everything you need to know, where to pick up and drop off and when your fees are due and uh, what a typical day looks like for kids, who the music teacher is, you know, all, all the things. And um, and I don't really have an experience of life change, like my life changing because of an information packet. Uh, but in that packet was quite literally the best parenting advice I think I've ever been given. And not just parenting advice, but life advice. Uh, hidden in a paragraph about art class, uh, the art teacher uh, said something like this. She said, when your child comes home with something they've made in art, uh, rather than saying, what's that? Or uh, isn't the sky supposed to be blue and the grass supposed to be green? Or what did you think that was supposed to be? Or, or something like that. Rather than saying something like that, simply ask, uh, will you tell me more about this? A three-year-old, this was her point, a three-year-old who has dreamed up and then painted or drawn a yellow dinosaur full of glitter and pencil shavings or whatever else they've added to it, um, thinks, you might think it looks like the Eiffel Tower, but they think it like 100% computes, that it is refrigerator-worthy and that you'll know exactly what it is. They are they are 100% standing by their work. And so a simple, what's that supposed to be? Um, or a, I have no idea what that is can be crushing to a small brain. Uh, whereas curiosity can transform the moment. That was her point in this packet. Uh, and if you study brain development in kids, the connectedness of, of uh, curiosity and emotional health or intelligence is, is absolutely mind-blowing. Uh, after I read that one simple sentence in that paragraph uh, about art class, I made this commitment, like this internal vow, a covenant as a parent that I would be curious, that I would try to lead with curious questions, that I would try to raise my kids with, tell me more about that instead of, why did you, or why didn't you, 
or whatever, like this curiosity covenant uh, that I made. Not just in parenting, though. This this informational packet really did inspire me um, in so many places in my life to lead with curiosity instead of judgment. So uh, not only did I know under or did I learn about the traffic patterns of the school, which were shockingly detailed, um, I also uh, made this lifetime covenant to uh, commitment to curiosity to live a life of curiosity, which is what I want to talk about today. Um, Currently in our church, alongside churches all over the world, we are in a season of epiphany, uh, an entire season of the year devoted to fresh eyes and fresh takes and fresh information and fresh wonder. It's a season ripe with curiosity. Uh, You may have noticed that Chad read the same story this week that Aaron read to us last week that we talked about last week. And you may have, and this is fair, assume that we just like messed up or made a mistake or something, but but we did it. Uh, That was on purpose. Uh, Last week, we looked together at the story of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and he asks this great question and we unpacked so much of that story. Uh, But there was this one piece that I couldn't quite fit in the sermon last week and then just kept rattling inside me um, as I was looking toward this week and prepping for this week. So uh, I decided we just needed one more week in the story. Uh, One more week to talk specifically about a really, honestly, a pretty tiny moment in the story where we find a curious man who finds himself at the feet of a curious Jesus, who finds himself at the feet of a holy curiosity. Uh, That's what Albert Einstein calls it. Uh, He's quoted saying, One cannot help but be in awe when he contemplates the mysteries of eternity, of life, of the marvelous structure of reality. Never lose a holy curiosity. Never lose a holy curiosity. I think it's incredibly important um, to me that the man who stumbled upon the theory of relativity be intentionally uh, devoted to and full of holy curiosity. If the theory of relativity is the chicken, then curiosity is the egg. I don't, have we decided if the chicken or the egg comes first? I don't know. I feel like that was Albert Einstein's job, and I'm not sure he did it. But you get what I'm trying to say. Um, I said uh, earlier that, that when you study brain development in kids, um, you find that curiosity is a very crucial element of brain development. Um, But I read this week in the Harvard Business Review that um, it kind of took it a little further and it said that uh, curiosity is uh, very crucial not just for intelligence or IQ, but also for our emotional IQ, our EQ, Um, and that it's, it's crucial for both emotional and intellectual quotient. Um, I, I read in a, in a different study, in a different journal this week, on the neuroscience of curiosity that said, curiosity is such a basic compo- component of our natures that we are nearly oblivious to its pervasiveness in our lives. Meaning, curiosity is so crucial that we're almost oblivious to how much it impacts us. It, it means that it hasn't been studied to quite the depth that IQ or EQ has been studied. Uh, the science of curiosity is is getting some recent traction, um, but it's not quite as developed. Uh, particularly, that's due to uh, an op-ed piece from the New York Times. There's this guy named uh, Thomas Friedman, and he wrote this this article for the New York Times, and that that sort of took the tech world and the hiring world and the scientific world and honestly the art world by storm. And in the article, Thomas Friedman coins the term CQ 
or curiosity quotient. And what he argues is that passion and curiosity can add up to add up to something far more valuable to a company or a project or a study or a society than just intelligence. That in many things, CQ and PQ, curiosity quotient and passion quotient could be of greater help than intellectual quotient. Uh, in high school, I had a teacher that was obsessed with this idea. She, uh, it was on her wall, and she would say it all the time. She, she had this saying, and she would say, revel in the ambiguities and glory in the gaps. She was constantly reminding us to discover, to uh, answer something, to grow in our work and our knowledge, that in order to do those things, we had to commit to curiosity. We had to grow our CQ in order to more fully develop our IQ. Uh, for our brains, curiosity is crucial and it is significant. But I would also argue that the same is true for our hearts. That curiosity is just as crucial uh, and significant for our hearts. When we talk about our hearts, we look a lot at the Bible and the Bible is full of curiosity. It's packed full of it. To be fair, you could argue that curiosity led to the fall of man at the very beginning in the garden. Uh, I think maybe that's why curiosity gets such a bad rap in the church. Um, actually, in my research this week, I found a website devoted completely to the idea that curiosity is a sin. Uh, and I was so fascinated with it, and I read the whole thing, and it just made me more curious. So I guess it made me sin. I don't know. Um, but uh, we say this all the time, that God is in the business of renewing all things, and, and curiosity uh, finds its redemption throughout all of the scriptures. It's not just a bad thing at the very beginning. It, it finds its renewal. It finds its redemption. Uh, God uses curiosity. Uh, to He sparks curiosity in people in order to draw them to himself. He does it with Moses and a burning bush. He does it with Noah uh, with this boat idea and then a rainbow for Elijah. He uses a tornado and then an earthquake and then a fire and then a whisper all to spark curiosity. Uh, it was, you could argue, I think, Saul's lack of curiosity that became kind of his Achilles heel, so to speak. He chose pride over curious. Uh, curiosity was Esther's mode of operation. It was Ruth's. Uh, and then it's not just the Old Testament. We find it all throughout the New Testament. Um, we find it with the shepherds whose curiosity is spark and it leads the, sparked and it leads them to the stables. We Zacchaeus, who is a curious, very high in a tree. Uh, we see it in the crowds, the religious leaders, the sinners, the sick. Uh, Nicodemus, Mary, who sat at the feet of Jesus that we talked about a couple weeks ago in, in Advent. We see it in the disciples uh, who, who saw everything of Jesus closer than anyone, and it seemed to just grow their wonder and grow their curiosity instead of uh, satisfied it. Uh, Peter, maybe the, the most curious of all, his holy curiosity got him in so much trouble and it set him free, often at the exact same time. Um, when Paul uh, got curious, the early church took off. Barnabas, Timothy, Lydia, so many others. Curiosity was like gasoline for the early church, uh, setting the whole thing ablaze so it could spread throughout the world like a wildfire. And we see a holy curiosity in Jesus. 
We see it in his interaction with the woman at the well, if you're familiar with that story, where they have this curious conversation about uh, if she's married and who she's married to. The, we see it, the, the woman healed on the road who touches Jesus' robe and he feels the power go out of him. And he turns around and asks the curious question, who touched my robe? Uh, to the man who was filled with demons. That uh, happens a, a few chapters before what we read today in Mark 10, where he goes to this man and he says, what's your name? This curious question. He, he does it with the disciples. He says to them, who do people say that I am? And then he asks the second question, who do you say that I am? Uh, after he calms the storm on the boat, the first question, or the first thing he does is he asks a question. He says, what were you so afraid of? Read for that. Can you tell me more about this? Can you tell me more about this? We, we have to look at the curiosity of Jesus, I think, for lots of reasons. Uh, but here are two. Uh, Jesus, he knows everything. He is all-knowing, omniscient, and yet he continues asking curious questions. Why were you so afraid? The tell me more about that of Jesus. The holy curiosity of an all-knowing son of God is worth our time. Here's the second reason. Uh, we were made in the image of that all-knowing Jesus. We were made in the image of God. In us is the holy curiosity of a creator. We were made for all of the stuff that, that I just talked about to be true. For We were made for curiosity to be a crucial component of the growth of our brains and the growth of our hearts. It was put there by Jesus, and it comes from Jesus to us. I said two reasons, but here's a third reason. <laughs> Curiosity is part of how we relate to God, and it's part of how God relates to us. Uh, there, I, I have this practice where I try to read the Proverbs every day. There are 31 Proverbs, and there's 31 days in a month, in at least half the months. Um, so it kind of works out. So, for example, today is the 31st, so I'll be reading Proverbs 31. Tomorrow's the 1st. I'll read Proverbs 1, and I just... I just read through a, a, a bunch of them. It's a good, easy practice if you're looking for something to do and reading the Bible. But uh, here's a proverb from last week, from Proverbs 25, uh, verses 2 to 3. And it says this. It says, It is God's privilege to conceal things and the king's privilege to discover them. No one can comprehend the height of heaven and the depth of earth or all that goes on in the king's mind. Solomon is saying uh, something similar to what I think Einstein said. I think Einstein stole it from Solomon. The more we search into the mysteries of the Father, the mysteries of the earth, the mysteries of the kingdom, the more we will discover of the depths of all that we do not know. God has ordered the world to be discovered. He has placed us in a position of wonder underneath the measure of his glory. God designed the world uh, for curiosity to be part of how we relate to him and part of how he relates to us. Curiosity is what births in us the ability to actively and intentionally pursue God's kingdom. It's, it's curiosity that wakes us up and makes us sensitive to what God is up to in our world, to the presence of the spirit all over our communities, our neighborhoods, our families, our workplaces. In our story today, we find Jesus in one of those curious moments, uh, this curious story about a curious man and a curious Jesus. Uh, and I love it because the all-knowing is curious and digging and discovering, trying to discover what's right in front of him. So uh, verse 17 says, as Jesus started out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? 
Jesus asked. As we said last week, Luke tells us that this man is a religious leader, uh, which would mean that him being a religious leader would put him in a category of people working very hard to discredit Jesus, a category of people who at a minimum wouldn't have acknowledged Jesus as a rabbi or teacher, uh, but in plenty of places were working very, very hard uh, to discredit him and ultimately became successful in having him arrested for blasphemy. Uh, But this man, he calls Jesus teacher, but not just that, he calls him good. To everyone around, this man would have most likely been seen for very little other than his categories, uh, his categories of rich, religious, and ruler. But Jesus sees his position, and he hears his question, and he models in such an incredible way what it looks like to get curious instead of judgmental. He says, why do you call me good? Read for that. Tell me more about this. What Jesus is showing us in this story and and so many other stories that we could tell is what it looks like to get curious about the story of someone else, to get a glimpse of the world through the eyes of someone else, to discover in someone surprising uh, something of value, something to explore, something human. I told you a second ago, the, 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 the first Bible verse, uh, I think I said this, the first Bible verse I ever memorized, uh, one of the first was in Genesis chapter one that says uh, that we were made in the image of God. Um, but here's something that I forget about uh, an embarrassing amount of time when I think about that Bible verse. Um, I think I was made in the image of God, but what I forget is so was everyone else. So was everyone else. Every human. In every single human being, there is a unique imprint of God's image. Every single human being in their own way bears the image of the king. The ones I I intuitively understand and the ones uh, who are frustratingly frustrating. And when we see the world like this, when we are curious enough to seek out that image and to seek out that story, then we do the thing that Jesus does in this moment with this man. We uh, notice, we honor, we affirm the innate value of the person in front of us. There's a reason I talked so long about how curiosity can form our minds and our hearts, how it can impact our intelligence. It's because from both a neuroscientific perspective And a spiritual, a Christian perspective, curiosity has the ability to transform us, to transform our fears, our hostilities, our blind spots, our anger, our small views. It has the ability to transform our purpose, our voice, uh, by creating roads for renewal and roads for connection and roads for hope and reconciliation. It has the ability to to open us up to be able to listen in a way we can't when we put you in a box, the way we can't when we're being judgmental. It, It gives us the chance to see and hear the world through the eyes of someone else and to become sensitive to the work of the Spirit in places we never for one second imagined the Spirit had access to. I told you I I made this covenant when my boys were small, uh, this curiosity covenant, but here's what I didn't say. Uh, I have blown it. I have totally blown it. I have forgotten that covenant far more often than I have remembered it. In the last few years in particular, I have very often traded curiosity for safety. I, um, as a wife, and a mom and a friend and as a follower 
of, of Jesus, I have picked safety over curiosity. In me, the light of curiosity has dimmed by my constant reverting back to what feels familiar and safe rather than finding the glory of the ambiguous and the gaps. I have traded real relationships for security blankets. I've traded what's risky for what's predictable. I have over and over and over and over again chosen to care uh, more about my categories than I have for the person that's standing in front of me that I just put into one. Uh, I read this article this week and it punched me in the belly and this was a quote from it. It said, in closing ourselves off from curiosity, from new or different ideas, from entire populations of people, we shut the door on surprise, on imagination, on empathy. I, I don't think I'm alone here. Here's how far it's gone in our culture, as an example. Do you realize that uh, where we live, uh, we live in a place that has assigned political party by mask wearing? Uh, this isn't happening all over the country. I, I was in a meeting recently with um, some women all over the country, and I was talking about this, and they were like, that doesn't happen here. I'm like, what? It's just here? It may not just be here, but but it is it is true of us. Where we live, this fall we decided that wearing a mask makes you a Democrat and not wearing one makes you a Republican. Or, or, or worse, we've gone to even more extremes, that wearing a mask makes you a Marxist and not wearing one makes you an insurrectionist. And you, you, you know what? That is impossible to know from mask wearing. Uh, when you think about it, that is, that's bananas. You cannot know someone's political affiliation uh, by their mask. I mean, I guess you could if their mask said, uh, I'm a libertarian on it. Someone somewhere just said libertarians don't wear masks. <laughs> uh, but uh, proving my point, we have lost the art of curiosity and it's showing up in the craziest places. We've lost the art of curiosity, the crucial component of curiosity, the wild wonder of curiosity. We have, at the cost of true connection and real relationship, chosen categories and judgment when curiosity has been imprinted on us by the one who made us. And that has made us in so many ways shut the door on surprise, shut the door on imagination, and shut the door on empathy. Curiosity matters. It has the ability to transform us, and it has the ability to transform the world. So um, I want to, uh, we do this a lot when we're in person, where I just get really bossy and I ask you questions for Selah, and that's what I want to do today. I just want to ask a couple of questions, and, and here's my hope, is that you'll take some space either now or at some point over the next week, that you will take some space and that you will sit uh, in these questions on your own uh, with the Lord. I think it's worth space and I think it's worth time, um, worth the space and the courage to look inside ourselves and maybe ask some tough questions. Uh, so here's some questions for you to consider, and then I'm going to pray a prayer blessing on us. Um, what would it look like for you, for you to make a curiosity covenant? What would it look like for you to lead with holy curiosity? Uh, what would it look like in your life um, for you to be a person who gets curious before they get judgmental? And also, where in your life have you chosen the inverse? Where in your life have you chosen categories over curiosity? Are there places in your life and in your heart and in your family and your relationships uh, where you need to repent of your judgments and categories and take up a holy curiosity? 
Uh, I'm gonna. I, I want to pray this prayer of blessing over us. I stole it from. You may remember in the fall we hosted a class called Difference. We'll host it again sometime. But this is how they they end Difference every week. Um, and I love this prayer, so I'm gonna pray this prayer of blessing on us. Then we'll go to the table. Loving God, fill us with your Spirit now. Help us be curious about other stories, listening as often as we speak. Give us the courage to be present engaging our whole and unique selves. Inspire us to reimagine what's possible, finding hope by glimpsing you at work. In Jesus' name, amen.